Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Taiwan on Air, Kanjong Zubo Taiwan. Hello everyone, this is Nicky Orsford, one of the hosts of the podcast series, and today we are here for an academic chat. Our guest is Scott Simon, Professor of Sociological and Anthropological Studies at the University of Ottawa in Canada. Welcome to our podcast. Scott, welcome and Happy New Year. Yeah, thank you very much and Happy New Year. I, I'm glad to be here and honored that it's the first one in 2023. Indeed. It's been a few months since I last saw you here at the University of Central Lancashire. Many thanks for agreeing to come and join us and share your thought with our students at that event. During that event, you may recall, we screened Voices of Orchid Island that was directed by the late Professor Hu Tai who sadly passed away in May 2022. I only had the pleasure of meeting her twice at Academia Sinica when I was a grad student and again when I was a PhD student at SOAS in London. I recall from our conversations in October that you knew her well. Could you talk a bit about her and how you met and what your thoughts were on her and her well? Yeah, I'll be happy to do that. Basically, I met her when I was uh, a graduate student as well. And already that's quite a long time ago. I went to Taiwan for the first time in 1996 when I was a graduate student in, in anthropology at McGill. And I was a, a visiting scholar there at the Institute of Ethnology at Academia Seneca. And so there were, of course, you know, many people to meet there. And she was one of the ones who really reached out and was welcoming. It was quite a mentor to me in those early years about understanding what, what Taiwan is all about and especially about ethnic relations in Taiwan. So, you know, she's got her films about mainlanders and she is herself a mainlander. And so... I was doing my field work down in Tainan, working with uh, Hoklo-speaking people there, and so native Taiwanese. And she was really good at giving me perspectives about mainlanders. If I can may just return to The Voices of Orchid Island, a film that she did, I think was in 1993, if I recall rightly. Um, one of the key features of the film was this reflective nature of conflict, or perhaps better said as cultural differences between indigenous and non-indigenous peoples. In your own work, how have things changed on Orchid Island and perhaps by extension Taiwan itself? Yeah, just mentioning Wu Tai Li again, I want to say that it's partly because of her influence that I actually went to Orchid Island. She really put it on the radar screen for me. I taught with that film for years in my courses on sociology of development. But then in, in 2019, I was able to go to Orchid Island 
and do some field work there with an MA student. And it's changed quite a bit from the time when her film was made. I think the biggest changes are the really obvious ones that in her film, there are very few scooters on the roads, and now there are way too many. And basically, Orchid Island has been inundated with tourism since she made that film. And so now they arrive, uh, tourists tend to arrive by boat. They take a tour around the island on a scooter with uh, scooters, you know, like this chain, they call it like, like a dragon. And so the whole island is really full of tourists uh, with uh, scooters during the tourist season. So I think that's probably the biggest change there. What about on Taiwan itself? Do we see that there's been much changed in this kind of nature of cultural differences between indigenous and non-indigenous peoples? Yeah, I think that when we're talking about the cultural differences, they're definitely always there. Of course, there are also cultural differences between indigenous peoples. That was one of the big lessons that I drew from Orchid Island, in fact, was that they're the only indigenous group that has a word in their language for the island of Taiwan. They call it Ilaut. And I found that interesting. And they don't really identify themselves as being indigenous peoples of Taiwan. They identify themselves as being the people of Ponzo no Dao, the island of the people, and related to the people of the Batanese Islands in the Philippines. But I think you're interested in the relationship between indigenous and non-indigenous. And I think that there's been a, a growing awareness in Taiwan, especially among you know the urban educated people about the multicultural nature of Taiwan and somewhat of a pride in that. Yeah, just kind of keeping on that, but on Orchid Island, another thing that came through from the film itself was this kind of early activism in surrounding nuclear waste. Mm -hmm. Could you perhaps expand a bit more on that and how that has changed since the film came out? Yeah, I think that at the time when the film was made, that there was much more active protest going on. The film is actually quite good at showing us how that the protest is organized uh, through social movements that are related to the Presbyterian Church and so forth. And when we got there, we were not there at a time of protest. Uh, we did get to visit the nuclear waste storage site, which uh, Thai Power has made into a tourist site. You get to, you can make, take a tour of it. We did see some evidence. There's a coffee shop that was decorated with uh, the banners and so forth from the protests that have happened in the past. But as we got to know people and talk to people, we found that many of the local people there don't really see that as a priority for them. I think that there, of course, as any community would have differences of opinions, but some of them perceive that they're actually quite far away from that storage site and they see the benefits of getting you know, electricity for free and so forth. And we didn't find a really widespread disagreement with Thai Power about having that there. That's very, very interesting. I kind of want to turn the discussion now to you and your research. Could you talk a bit about how you got into researching Taiwan? What was your kind of initial research and how has that changed to now? Oh, it's changed enormously because there's been so much time since then. But I, I think like many people of my generation, I was initially before I went to Taiwan, interested in Taiwan as an example of a Chinese society that has economic prosperity and democracy and so forth. And as an undergraduate, I had done that East Asian studies. So I was trained as a sinologist first, and I had a chance to go to Taiwan and do my PhD research at Academia Sinica. And so I, I took that opportunity to get to know 
another part of the world because I had already spent two years in China. And so that's how I got there. I did my first study on questions about economic development and Chinese culture and did my field work because as an anthropologist, we have to pick one particular place to do field work in Tainan. And those leather tanners that I met doing my research on, because I had to focus on one particular industry as well. But those people I met, they really put me on a different path because they convinced me that the Taiwanese have a very distinct culture, which is not Chinese. And so that was the beginning. That was the first change. And then I moved to Taipei, spent two years there doing research on women entrepreneurs in the Institute of Sociology. And that's when I started meeting Duruku people, because I already down in the South, I'd started meeting Lukai people. But what was happening is that indigenous people were starting to reach out to me and ask me to do research in their communities. And finally, I was really touched by some of the social movement issues, like the nuclear waste issue on Orkut Island. But it was the cement factory in Hualien that really got me because of Ikong Shibat. And so she brought me into the Durugu territory to learn about Asia cement. And so that, that got me doing research with indigenous peoples for the next 20 years. And your current research is on birds, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So basically it's uh, birds as part of a broader picture. But I have a research project now. It's funded by the Canadian government. It's called Austronesian Worlds human-animal entanglements in the Pacific Anthropocene. And basically, we're a fairly large team of professors uh, at different universities around the world, including Taiwan, and also graduate students. And each one of us gets to focus in on something that interests us. And so I, I chose birds. I, you know, I could have chosen anything within those human-animal entanglements. And it's a five-year project, so I've actually been doing it in, in other parts of Asia and the Pacific, but it's birds. And I have done research on Durugu and Sedek relations with birds and written several articles about that. That all sounds fantastic. And I look forward to reading them when they're out and published. So finally, I'm just kind of curious when we're next going to get a chance to share a beer with you again. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. So that might be in June at Eats. We'll find out soon. Yeah, so that's the European Association of Taiwan Studies Conference that will be held in London. Oh, that would be great if we can meet up there. Yeah, maybe we can celebrate my book, which will be out by then, called Truly Human, Indigeneity and Indigenous Researchers on Formosa. And that talks about my bird research, too. Oh, that's perfect. We'll have to invite you back to do another podcast on your book when it's out. Yeah, I would love to do that. Well, listeners, I want to say thank you to Scott Simon for taking this opportunity to speak with us. So stay healthy, everyone, and ta-ta for now. Okay, thank you. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.